I think one of the best feelings in the world is when we feel safe enough with someone to share who we are, to own the truth, our thoughts and opinions, and even the really messy parts of our story. Even though I like to think that I'm an open book, there have been many times in my own life where I've pasted on this fake smile, trying to basically fake my way through my own insecurity and feelings of self-doubt. If you're with me, um, I know that you completely understand what I'm talking about. Because as women, I think that it's way more prevalent than we'd like to admit. Because it's not easy being vulnerable and sharing our losses with others because quite frankly, we're afraid to be judged by them and even potentially alienate ourselves from relationships and from the people that we want to be in community with. And what if for some reason, the people we're doing life with don't get it. They don't understand what we've been through and they shut us out or we're cast aside in a leadership role or not given a position that we've really been working towards. I had the opportunity to pick up the book, The Rise of the Truth Teller by Ashley Abercrombie, and I instantly felt so connected to her story. And she was sharing about her own life, not only giving us practical tools about how to show up and be bold, but also to empower others to do the same thing. Now, this conversation is pretty honest and raw which I love. Um, it actually felt a little bit more like a phone conversation that I was having with a really close friend than a podcast recording. We laughed and shared openly and honestly about failed relationships in our lives and how to surround ourselves with people who will be there when we share our feelings and shortcomings. And not only that, but when it's okay to share vulnerably, and that's a really, really important thing to know and how to pick safe people when we're going through a healing journey or during um, a season of grief or loss, and what it's like to share our own faith story, especially in the church context. And friends, this is where yours truly gets real about her own story. And I might even have a vulnerability hangover after this one, but it's all worth it if we're able to inspire you to step into your own power to embody your own story and your experience because whatever you have gone through in your life, it has the power to change the life of someone else. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hello friends, I love that you're here. Thank you so much for joining me, whether it's your very first time listening to an episode of The Courage Cast or whether you've been with me for all of the previous seasons. We've got a really special episode for you today. I actually felt so encouraged and uplifted after my conversation with Ashley. We just met this past summer when we were both at the Women's Speakers Collective, which is hosted by Danielle Strickland in Toronto. And which, by the way, Danielle has a gorgeous episode on the Courage Cast um, that we released back in the summer. You should go check that out. It's so good. Danielle is such an amazing communicator. But when I found out that Ashley was releasing her first book, I immediately DM'd her and I asked her to be on the show. And wow. 
Am I ever glad that I did? Because there are just some people who just feel like home. And Ashley is one of those people. Ashley fought to overcome addiction, rape, abortion, perfectionism, and dysfunctional relationships to become really honest with her story. She also talks about wearing a mask more than half her life and considers herself too old and too annoyed to ever put it back on. Now she's written this beautiful story about her own journey and she shares it with authenticity and in such a beautiful way to empower the rest of us to do the same. So here's my conversation with Ashley Abercrombie. Ashley, thank you so much for being on the Courage Cast today. I'm really excited to talk to you and I'm so happy that we've actually met in person at the Women's Speakers Collective back in the summer in Toronto. And uh, you're from Manhattan, is that right? That's exactly right. And I'm so excited to be here with you. This is very exciting for me to connect with you in this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, and it's so fun because I got to hear you speak um, when you were sharing kind of your, your own story at Women's Speakers Collective. But like then to see that your book, Rise of the Truth Teller, came out this fall, which is beautifully written, so funny, clever. (laughs) <laughs> and, and also just, I love the whole premise of, of your book and telling our stories and what that means. And so I'm excited to kind of get into, into that with you. But before we do, I'd love for you to tell people a little bit about yourself and what you're passionate about. Okay. Well, I am born and raised uh, North Carolina. So that's the Southeastern part of the United States. And then that's where I grew up until I was 21 years old. And then I was actually running from my life as you do sometimes looking to Mm -hmm. start all over (laughs) and moved to Los Angeles where I lived for 15 years. And during that time, um, went through my recovery journey, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later in this podcast, but, um, you know, started the recovery process, healing from drugs, alcohol, eating disorders, so many other things. And, um, also during that time found healing, found hope, sort of started the trajectory of my life to write and speak and do the things that I knew were deep inside of me um, that I'm doing 20 years <laughs> down the track. Like it, it takes a while sometimes. What's that about? Yeah, totally. <laughs> then I met my husband while I was in Los Angeles. We had our first son and then we moved to um, Manhattan three years ago where he pastors a church in lower Manhattan and I am here writing and speaking full time when we had our second baby. So we have two littles, which all that means is that I'm very, very, very tired (laughs) 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 and trying to figure out how to live life (laughs) doing Mm -hmm. all these wonderful things. I think sometimes we, you know, when uh, you think about courage, it's not that often that we think about what happens when you get some of the things that you pray for, you know, how do you manage them? How do you not complain about the things that you prayed for? How do you live your life with great courage and and gumption, not just in the waiting, but also when you, when you begin to inherit the dreams that are in your heart, you know? So I feel like I'm kind of in a rhythm of figuring that out in my life. And to answer your question about what excites me, that excites me. Yeah, (laughs) I think figuring out like, how do I do this? How do I get up every day and do the thing I was born to do? And I think I've found myself some days, doing that very courageously and some days doing little little um hidden methods of sabotage <laughs> okay i'm having to really like practice what i preach in this season and really um you know wake up with joy and choose courage um so it's been a, it's been a really great season and i love love the name of your podcast i think this is a really powerful thing that everybody has to do every day <laughs> thank you thank you i appreciate that you know it's interesting you said you were you were talking about like you had these dreams from a long time ago and here you are doing them which uh-huh. is amazing uh-huh. 
And I think so often we we have these dreams and then sometimes they shift and change or we do them or we don't do them. We, yeah. you know, like the course of our life. But like, if you're looking back now at that, that woman you were, that girl you were, like, did you see this? Like, mm. did you really see what's happening or is it like an iteration of what you saw? Mm. You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I had this really beautiful experience when my book released on October 1st. Um, the, there was a, a man who was able to fly in, a dear friend of our family. I actually was a nanny for his oldest son, him and his wife, when I was um, 22 years old. And so that's like literally almost 20 years ago. And he came to the launch party, saw me sitting there, and he had also seen me preach several times this year. They hit him and his wife when I was in LA preaching. They came out um, to watch and to support and cheer me on. And he just hugged me so tight. And he was like, Miss Ash, that's what they called me. Miss Ash, this is exactly what I saw in my head 20 years ago. Mm. Like, this is exactly what I saw. And so when I was nannying for him and I'm asking these big questions, like what in the world does this nanny job have to do with my purpose? And what in the world do these things that are so seemingly insignificant have to do with this significant purpose that I'm chasing? And so I think I, what I appreciate about my journey is that I have had to cultivate character in those hidden spaces. And I have had to cultivate a sense of expectation and faith when everything around me, like there was no tangible evidence that things were going to happen. Mm, <laughs> and there was right. no tangible evidence that God was going to come through on some things. And when you wait year after year, after year, after year, you can become discouraged if you allow yourself. So for me, what my biggest focus has been is how do I stay faithful in the thing that's in front of me? How do I not lose hope in the thing that's ahead of me? And so I've really tried to practice, like, what do the seemingly insignificant moments mean right now in my life as I'm caring for my children and or as I'm, you know, um, being kind to neighbors or as I'm just, you know, doing what seems to be the most boring stuff, everything from laundry to like, grocery shopping, all the things that we do, all these yeah. things matter and all these things are defining who we are and these things are contributing to our overall purpose. So I think I've learned um, to love the ordinary and I've learned to love what seems to be insignificant. Cause I've realized that's actually the big stuff of life. You know, that's the big stuff, not the mountains, not, not the, not the big things, but like these little things are the big things. <laughs> and like, how did you get there? Like hmm. that, that always, you know, makes me curious because when we're, when we're kind of achievement driven yes. or we've got like, you know, just dreams for our lives. So often it's like, becomes this like soul focus, right? Right. And so like, we, we can't really see like all of the, the little things and like, how did you find joy? Like you said, like mm -hmm. in these like moments and stay present in all of it. Yes. Well, a big catalyst for me in, in not living in perpetual disappointment, because that's really mm -hmm. what, what this is, is that when you set your expectations properly and you set your expectations to live your daily life rather than to be perpetually disappointed, I think that that's a real game change. That's a real trajectory shifter in the mental roadmap of our mind. And so mm -hmm. for me, what helped me do that throughout all these years was having solid relationships. I think when life is constantly changing or when you feel like you're always waiting for something or you're holding out on hope, then relationships are the thing that 
that undergirds strength. And so for me in my life, I have had to practice friendship in a really powerful life-giving way. I always say that my friends are my lifeline. And it, I spent a lot of lonely years because again, recovery, um, and I have 16 years sobriety now, but recovery from drugs, alcohol, eating disorders. I mean, there were some lonely years where I was having to step out of one life and kind of step into a new one. And that space in between when you feel like you're just going to go crazy like because you're alone and you've got kind of one foot in one world, one foot in the new world, and you're just making that jump from here to there. I think for me, that space in between, um, you know, there was a lonely season, but for the most part, I have diligently cultivated relationships and friendships in my life. And I think that has been the thing that allows me to experience joy. Because if you have people with you, no matter what you're going through, you can encounter joy. And no matter what you're going through, you have someone to laugh with you and you have someone to cry with you. And you have someone to remind you when you feel like, forget it, I'm not waiting another day, I'm compromising or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. You have people in your corner who will be like, no, you're not, we're here, you're gonna make it, it's gonna be okay, keep holding on to hope. And so I think relationships for me have really been that. Mm, that's beautiful. I would say the exact same thing. Yeah. And especially even moving just recently and, and you know, having like those long distance friendships. Yes, I have and, many. I relate. Yeah. <laughs> and they come in, they come in really handy Yes. in transitional seasons where it's like, okay, everything has changed and shifted right now. And I don't feel like myself. And I almost feel like isolating a lot of the time. Yeah. And just being like, okay, this is not what I expected. This is not what I want. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like trying to stay clear, like what you said from yeah. that disappointment. Yes. And focusing on those things that that you know are not going as you intended them to go. It's like talking to those friends and being like, okay, this is who I am. You know, staying the course and just relying on them and and knowing also you know that they do the same they rely yes. on you yes even if you're in a having a tough season yourself yes that's exactly right you know i was a master pretender i love what you're saying here because i was a master pretender like i, I like to say that i had a phd in pretending yeah and i think it was such a journey for me to discover what you're talking about reciprocity like the beautiful power of someone showing up for me but also them giving me the privilege and honor of showing up for them and me becoming a safe person who practices integrity and who has um wholeness operating well in my life. I think that has given me the rich opportunity to be able to show up for people in the same way that they're showing up for me. And of course we can't do that for everyone, but in your close friendships, they should be reciprocal, not a one-way street, you know? And I think that is the thing you get to journey together and you learn how to do what the Bible says. Like you rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep and you're able to do that more effectively and, and more easily when you're in reciprocal, meaningful relationship. It's really important to have that. Absolutely. I, I know you talk about relationships in your book. Mm -hmm. and you talk about a lot of different things. You talk about your story and you talk about how to own your story. Yeah. And I kind of want that to be a little bit of a jumping off point. And I'm going to just read to you just a little portion of your own book. <laughs> but here we go. Our stories matter. Many of us suffer in silence and wonder if we're alone in our pain. The truth about our past has the power to heal. When we are the first to share, the first to be vulnerable, the first to bravely face and overcome abuse, failure, shame, or addiction, or the first to forgive, dream again, or be a true friend, it helps us realize that we are not alone and that we are not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I legitimately wrote a text to a friend this morning mm. saying that 
today to them this morning, like, thank you for talking to me and sharing vulnerably about how you manage that, that time in your life. Mm. Um, because it made me realize I'm not crazy. Mm. <laughs> and so it's so funny. So like, Beautiful. I, I want to just ask you, like, what was the impetus for you to share your story? Like both like in real life, and also like mm-hmm. to now like well, I think there were two health. things that were kind of catalysts for me one is I just exhausted my capacity to hold it all together you know like I just got so tired I got so annoyed with lying all the time and when I say lying it isn't as if I was just waking up every day and telling a whole bunch of lies but the truth is I was wearing a mask everywhere I went and I had this deep desire to please others and this deep desire for to not be found out to for people to not know what a mess I was that was really important to me to craft this image that people could believe in versus just living without the mask and walking in integrity and I just didn't have the tools and resources to do that but I got too tired you know, I tried drugs, I tried alcohol, I tried being the party girl, I tried being the perfect girl, I tried being, you know, every type of girl that you could be, and nothing was really working for me. And I felt very fractured and very fragmented. And so I kind of um, was in that place when I visited a faith community in Los Angeles and I heard a female speaker, which I grew up in a place where we were a small Southern Baptist church, a beautiful experience. And at the same time, there were never women on the platform ever. So I didn't even know women could do that. I thought for sure she was like, you know, in the, in the kids ministry and just coming to make an announcement or like God was going to strike her dead. I didn't know what was going to happen. And not only did she get up and deliver this powerful message, but she began to share her abuse in her background, that she had been sexually abused, that she had been addicted, that she had gone through all these very difficult things. And my mouth was literally on the floor. I did not know that you could just talk about that stuff. And I also did not know that there was an intersection between the pain in my life and the faith that I had in God. I did not realize that I could bring that stuff to God. And I did not realize that there were, that you could say that stuff out loud, like it, you know, like it wasn't going to explode your whole life. And so when I heard her do that, I just had this little inkling inside of me, like, man, I wonder if I can be that way. I wonder if I could have that level of freedom in my life. Like she doesn't seem that much different than me. Like, so why can't I be free to share? And then I remember a couple of weeks later, a dear, a dear friend called, um, and she said, Hey, Ashley, how are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I did what I always do at the time. I redirected the conversation. I was like, well, how are you? And I began to ask her all kinds of questions. And then we got off the phone. And so basically she had shared for a good 15, 20 minutes and I had given her nothing, even though she started the conversation with the question. And so 10 minutes later, after getting off the phone, there was a knock on my door and I opened up the door and it was her. And she just was standing there and she pushed past all my boundaries in the most healthy, loving way. And I just fell in the floor and started crying because the truth was I was not fine, you know, and I needed to share my story. You know, Maya Angelou says that there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. And I remember laying on that floor with her, sharing my story for the very first time. And she cried with me and she wept with me and she didn't try to fix me and she didn't try to save me and she didn't try to advise me or give me seven books to read. She just was practicing the ministry of presence and just sitting with me. And through her presence, as I shared my story, what I realized is that God is with me in my pain and that God is not ashamed of my pain and that God actually weeps for the difficult things that we go through. And I realized I did not have to clean myself up first to be able to come to God. And I realized that I did not have to get it together or to hide in order to be in relationship with others. And so that powerful, like life-changing series of events is what sort of led me to realize like, 
actually every time I began to, my, to share my story after that, I would experience something on the other side that looked a lot like an exhale, where maybe somebody didn't even have my exact story, but they could relate to having to hold it all together. They could relate to having to craft an image in order to be in this world. They could relate to pain, because that is something that we all share, is that we all have issues, we all have problems, we all have pain. And so that desire um, in me for other people not to be alone in their pain is what has really driven me to own my own story and to be able to share it. And this mm -hmm. idea of truth telling, you know, so it's called Rise of the Truth Teller. But in the South where I'm from, like you're our race to tell the truth. You're, you're raised to be a truth teller. I mean, I have a long lineage of like spitting, kicking women who are like telling the <laughs> truth all the time. But, you know, the majority of the time, what we mean is telling the truth about other people. And so for me, it actually just took great courage to be like, this is my life and this is my story. And I'm going to stop telling all the truth about the other people, what I think about them. And I'm going to do more truth telling about myself in my own life in the hopes that it could actually bring healing to others. Mm. You know, I love, you know, talking about kind of powerful and, um, and women who are in leadership, you know, and so often if women are in those positions, mm -hmm. um, they find themselves like coaches or counselors right. or pastors or pastor's wives or yes. <laughs> influencers of some way. Yeah. Right? It's like this thing that we're holding on to. Like if I have to divulge my, all of my dirty laundry yeah, and I don't really want to share that with people and I don't really want to be honest and transparent. And, right. you, and I love how your friend busted you first of yes, all. She's, so dead. she's like, wow. hello, I'm <laughs> knock, knock, you know, yeah, here I am. you're lying. <laughs> yeah. But like even yesterday, like again, okay. So I text a few friends, one's expecting her second. The other one just had her second mm. child. They're, they're about both like 10, 12 years younger than me. And I, no joke, when they both asked me, how are you doing? I responded, I'm great. Things are great. Yeah. has been, you know, a little tough, but we're getting there. Meanwhile, I'm like unraveling yesterday. Right. And, and, and so I want to talk a little bit about that because yeah. there is this like stigma around trying to hold it all together. Yes. And when you find yourself like that person who is normally the one that everyone else is coming to. Right. And you feel like, you know, I should have my, you know, together. Yep. Yep. Then it's like, okay, how do I, and I'm tired. Yeah. To be honest, I'm tired of telling people that it's not going well. Right. I'm tired of like the loop, the right. narrative going yep. over and over and over in, you know, how do we, how do we do that from a place like, um, Give, give me a little bit of advice or what would you say to women who are like, how do you share vulnerably and in a safe context? Wow. I mean, it's such a, it's a huge question and a huge process. But what I would say is that, you know, I have to constantly remember and my recovery practices have really helped me with this because in the recovery world, you lead with story and you lead with brokenness. And in that circle of trust, nobody is leading anybody and nobody's better than anybody else. Nobody's inferior to anybody else. And nobody's issue is better or less than anybody else's. Like nobody's sin is special in the recovery circle. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I love that, right? Because you're leading with your brokenness. So 
I just wake up every day and think to myself, I'm a broken person. Like today I'm going to do something that I don't like. Maybe I'm going to yell at my kids. Maybe I'm going to be in traffic and have, you know, react at a 10 when I really should be at a one. Maybe I'm going to be super impatient when I'm on the phone with someone and I'm trying to get something done. Perhaps I'm going to, you know, maybe I'm going to say a word about somebody that isn't the kindest thing I could say. Like today I'm going to do something that is going to disappoint me and potentially disappoint others. And so when I wake up knowing that I don't have the expectation for me to be perfect. And if I don't have the expectation for me to be perfect, I will not have the expectation for others to be perfect. Right. And I want to live in a place where my expectations are proper and I'm not perpetually disappointed. Right. So for Mm -hmm. me, it's about really accepting the fact that I am broken and that's okay. Like God is not expecting perfection for me. And in fact, in the Bible, when it talks about perfect or it, it uses the word perfect, we have sort of a modern context of what we think that might be, which means getting it right and being right. And actually in the eyes of God, perfection is about wholeness. It's about integrity. And so integrity does not mean doing the right thing every single time or being right every single time. What integrity means is though I'm broken, I am journeying toward wholeness. And when I make a mistake, I'm healthy enough to own my mistake, to say I'm sorry, to make amends, to change. And so I think if we operate that way, then we can know that it's okay to be where we are. And then I think the other thing that I've tried to practice in my life that I hope is helpful to people is to understand seasons. And in the church, we use seasons for everything. Like, right, somebody has a bad attitude, it's just a season. I'm I'm just going through it. You know, somebody makes a terrible leadership decision. Well, it's just a season. I'm perpetually busy, it's just a season. No, it isn't. That's a character issue. (laughs) But But I am talking about recognizing, okay, well, if I'm launching a new business, then I know the first six months to a year of this thing is going to be difficult. It doesn't mean that I am bad. It doesn't mean that the narrative of my life is bad. It just means that launching a business is tough. Or if I am in a marriage for 10 years, then I know somewhere along that line, that 10 year process is going to be hard. There's going to be some things that we're going to go through. It doesn't mean that that, you know, year seven is going to be the worst year that's going to break us apart. It just means, wow, we are uncovering some new things. We are in a new season. We are in a new year that we have to figure out how to do things differently. So I think recognizing seasons is important. Whenever there's a big change, whenever there's a big loss, whenever it's just been the same thing over and over and over again for years, I think it's important to recognize like, okay, this is impacting how I'm feeling and thinking about the world and giving yourself permission to be in that. You know, if things are difficult and it feels like they're difficult for a couple of months, then they just are difficult for a couple of months. And what's wrong with that? That's life, Mm. you know, like that's life. And if we look at the Bible, like that's facts, you know, I mean, think about Esther, Think about Moses, think about Deborah, think about the Apostle Paul, think about Jesus, think about Peter. I mean, if you really just like look at the lives of these people in the Bible and you think to yourself, man, this is this is a rough go. Like who would want this life? (laughs) Then I think what that does is not discourage us, but it gives us great comfort that when we go through hard things or when we go through difficult seasons or when we go through boring times of just waking up and doing the same thing over and over again, because it's just the right thing to do and it's it's the way to live your life, um, then I think we can recognize like, oh, this is the journey of being human. If we're going to be alive for a hundred years, like there's going to be some years that just aren't great. And that's just what it means to be human. You know, Mm -hmm. that's okay. (laughs) Hi, beautiful. Here's your daily reminder that you are loved, you are important, and you are perfect just the way you are. The way those words just made you feel, that's what it feels like to slip into an Onda Brooks robe. Onda Brooks is a female-founded luxury robe and loungewear brand. 
Every unique, high-quality, Canadian-made piece is designed to be a reminder that we are all made up of beautiful, unique details. For 15% off your very own Onderbrooks piece, head to onderbrooks.ca and enter promo code COURAGECAST at checkout. That's O-N-D-E-R-B-R-O-E-K-S dot C-A. Promo code COURAGECAST. How do we share vulnerably or be honest, you know, in those, you know, those seasons? Because you talk about Mm -hmm. in your book, you talk about trauma and you talk Mm -hmm. about transition and it kind of like, and, and I love how you talk about that. It's not just trauma that changes us, although it does, right? but it's also the good moments that, that do have like, um, an effect on us, but also like transition, which like could be grief and loss and, and those things, which are really, really hard places to be, you know, if you've experienced, you know, like a loss of a marriage or loss of a, a, you know, a child that you wanted, or you haven't had kids or you're wanting to get married and like all of those things are, or, um, you know, I'm just thinking even about, you know, women who like loss of a dream, loss of, of, um, just something that they really, really wanted, whether they're laying it down themselves or it just kind of was, you know, the rug was pulled from underneath them. How do we journey in those times and spaces in a vulnerable way, in an authentic way where we're not like bleeding all over everybody? Totally. Right. So I loved this awesome book that I read um, called Safe People by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. Mm -hmm. And it says in this book that safe people do three things. They bring us closer to God, closer to others, and closer to who we were truly made to be. And so I think if we journey towards being a safe person who brings others closer to God, who brings others closer to us, who brings others closer to who they were truly made to be, then then we can respond to the world and recognize people who do the same thing for us. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes that is what's missing is having safe people to journey with. So a safe person is able to encourage you when you're down. A safe person is also able to say, you know what? Like you've been down for a minute and this seems like maybe an internal thing that you're going through. How can I help you with your attitude? Mm-hmm. Like, How can I help you with your perspective? So truth and, and grace and love, they all go together. Like we have to be honest with one another. So being safe is not just always like, you know, supporting, but also saying really hard things that need to be said sometimes. Like I can even remember um, a friend of mine one time just being like, wow, like I actually just think the way you were in that leadership meeting, like you were really strong with your people. And it was in a way that actually just wasn't kind. It seems like you just want them to do what you want them to do. And I was like, man, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I had to own that and go back and apologize to my team. Mm. So I think that there's times where we have to have people who can journey with us, who can be with us in the things that we're going through, but who can also call us higher and call us closer to the person we were truly made to be. Um, And I think that's really important. So being vulnerable is not easy and being safe is not easy because being safe requires requires us to constantly be focused on integrity over image and being safe constantly requires us to be connected to God and be connected to others and to be a great forgiver. You know, I think that's the other part of this, like nobody's perfect. So we have to constantly be forgiving one another and constantly be letting things go and constantly calling each other closer to God and higher into who he's made us to be. but it's not easy. I, I do think this is a process and, and you practice it. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you share too much. Sometimes you share too strong. You know, and it's just like, that's okay. Yeah. That's part of the process. It's messy. You realize like, man, I sh- you know what? I overshared and I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> man, I wish I hadn't said that so strongly or wow. I realized I didn't really 
like give you any grace in the way you spoke to me. And I'm so sorry about that. Like I want to be a person who gives grace, you know? So you just like, I think it's being mindful of who you are in the world and being mindful of your own need for growth and, and being mindful um, that we need other people to help us, to tell us, and we, we get to be that for others as well. And I, I, I really think it's important even to note that there are times where we can actually just be honest in our own failings with it. Yeah. Because like, as you said, there, there are moments where we do mess up and it's like, yes. oh, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done it that way. And, mm-hmm. and I need to take ownership of that. And so yes. often, you know, I think in church culture, just to be honest, yeah, we live in this, like, well, our leaders, you know, did right. And there's, they did no wrong, you know, right. And so Which is dangerous, is honestly, very dangerous. Yes. And so, you know, when they are not taking ownership of um, a mistake that they've made or something they've done, you know, in leadership towards someone yeah. else, then yeah. you, we take on that same thing and we start to handle that the same way and do the same things and, you know, inevitably hurt other people. Right. But when we're able to kind of own our own stuff and say, listen, okay, in the heat of the moment, I was hungry. Like I was, had a bad day. I didn't sleep well that night. And sometimes it's like really simple things. It's not always like a character flaw. That's right. Sometimes it's just like, I shouldn't have like, you stay that long in the meeting. I should have cut the meeting off and gone home and totally with my family and been there. And the longer it dragged on, the more tired I became and blah, 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 blah. And, yes. and so I think it's just like even also just owning our stuff and owning like we're actually real people. <laughs> yes. Come on. You know, that's it. It's not just about whether or not, you know, like it's a character issue or flaw or whatever. And Come I on. think there's you talk about this in your book and I honestly a little bit hesitate to get into it, but it, I'm actually really fired up about it. So let's do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go there and talk about <laughs> church stuff. Yes. And I'm going to own this, which my podcast listeners probably don't know a whole lot about this about me, but um, they do know that I was in ministry for a long time and I was a pastor. What they don't know is my kind of where I'm at in the church stuff right now and how wounded I have been by the church and how I'm not going to church. They do not know that. So guys, you're welcome. Now you know. Yes. Um, Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Well, being vulnerable. I might have a vulnerability hangover about this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I told myself this season, Andrea, you're going to get real. So um, here we go. But you talk a little bit about that. And, um, you know, you talk about, you know, just kind of hurt in the church and like walking away and kind of being in a season where it's like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to go back or not. This is something in your book. It's in there. And, and there's, this is a season I'm, I'm currently in and just kind of like, you know, deconstructing my own, uh, not only faith, because there's the faith deconstruction part of it, but there's also the local church deconstruction part of it, which is a whole thing. If you're in the church world, you may also understand if you are not a person of faith and you are listening to this conversation, um, can I just encourage you listen with an open heart and and realize that not all places are like this, but we're just going to be real. Yeah. How did you navigate your own journey in that context? You had like, kind of like I'm, we're pulling away we have experienced these things and we need healing for ourselves and to move back into a faith community. 
Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we gave ourselves um, a lot of grace, which was actually the wisdom that somebody gave me. I remember um, when we made the decision to transition out of our faith community and for context, I was there for 15 years. My husband was there for almost 10. And overall, we had a really beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I found my husband there. We had a gorgeous recovery journey, like so many great things. A lot of my friendships, my dearest friends are from that time and season in my life. Um, and at the same time, as we began to have a value shift and as we began to want to see our faith intersect more with what our, our convictions and values were around community, around justice, around worship and prayer, then we knew we had to make a change. And our convictions no longer lined up with sort of the corporate decisions. And we knew it was time to transition. Mm. And it was really, really hard. I got a spiritual director actually a year and a half before I officially made the decision to leave. And that was really powerful and life-giving to me. Cause I think when you've been so deeply connected to something for so long, you need a good, healthy processing tool. So my spiritual director, my recovery practices, my friendships, that was the thing that sort of kept me and held me. And when I talk about permission and grace, I had gone 15 years was serving at minimum three services on a Sunday for years. You know, like I just, I never one time woke up on a Sunday and just went to brunch or just like decided I wasn't gonna go that day. Like that just wasn't my life. And so I knew that we needed grace and permission to just be and grace and permission to not go if we didn't want to. And one of the beautiful things my spiritual director said to me when I was like, I don't know, like what if I'm stepping out of the grace of God? What if I'm stepping out of the will of God? And she was like, wait a minute, are you saying that you can lose Jesus? And I was like, oh, maybe yeah, I, think, I think I am. I think that is what I'm saying. And that sounds ridiculous yeah. now that you say it. And so it was beautiful to watch her connect those dots for me, help me connect them. Because yeah. I realized I'm not leaving Jesus. I'm not leaving my faith. I'm not leaving, you know, um, I'm not even leaving community. And so it was beautiful for me and empowering for me to be able to make those decisions. And then we didn't want to jump right into anything. So we just said, you know what, God, just, just lead us, teach us. And to be honest, we were pretty convinced at that point that we would never go to church again. We're like, we're going to just like give our money away. We're going to open our home. We're going to have lots of dinners in our house. We're going to eat together at the table. We're going to have great hard conversations about, about relevant things that are happening in our world. And that will be our life. That will be our church. And so it was a journey for us to say yes to church again. And as, as you read in the book, we didn't go for an entire year. Um, we had one church that we'd go to anonymously because as you probably know, um, when you're a pastor in a, in a city, you can't always be that anonymous, but yeah. we did have a church where we could go where it was safe for us. And we just like loved the worship. And to be honest, that is the only thing I missed was corporate worship. Like it's one thing to listen to a podcast message, sure. But like, I can't get what I get on a Sunday morning in worship in my living room, mm -hmm. you know, like watching Bishop Jake's choir as beautiful as it is, as much as I love to worship to it, it is not the same as standing in a room with other worshipers. And it is and not so the that same was powerful. as standing in his actual church. The Potter's Come house. on, I have totally. Been it isn't. Many, yes, many no, it isn't ago. the same. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not yeah, the same. Beautiful experience. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And so um, mm -hmm. I think slowly but surely the Lord began to work on us. I, you know, the Bible says that the gifts and call are irrevocable. And so whatever your gifts are, um, you know, they don't go away just because maybe you have a season where you're not using them or maybe where you have to take a break because you feel burned out or you feel like, man, I'm going to lose myself or, oh, gosh, I need 
recovery from this trauma, then I think that it's important to take those breaks. But we still were pastors at heart, you know, and we still had a deep desire to shepherd and love people. We love to gather people. We love to pray. We love to worship. And we realized at the end of that year, like, actually, we, we still do like church and it is our desire to try again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for us, it was just giving room, giving space, um, and, and holding that with others, you know, from a spiritual director to our friendships to, you know, one another, just holding space and room for that. And it was messy and ugly. There were some days when I felt very angry and some days when I felt very sad and some days when I felt totally okay. So, you know, like typical grief process yeah. when you lose something that you've been a part of for 15 years, that's a death, you know, that's a, and it's a hard death. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. I know it was the best decision. I know it was full of integrity. I know God was leading us to do it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that because it is, it's so important. And I've actually had a friend who said to me when I transitioned to the place I'm living, she said, you know, I just really want you to find a church. Well, I actually had a couple of friends say this. Yeah. And it triggered me, to be honest. Like I bet it did. It was a real trigger. <laughs> like, I just want you to be in church. And I was like, I just want you to stop saying that. Um, no, totally. And they know who they are. So if they are listening, they know we've already had the conversation. It's been out in the yes, open. But totally. um, I just said, like, it's not safe. That's correct. You yes, know? that's really important. And and I guess, and, and there will be maybe, hopefully, you know, Ashley, we can continue some of this conversation offline because I don't want the whole world podcast yes, <laughs> the world to, totally. to hear this. And that's this, you know, guys, just so you know, is exercising, you know, just real wisdom. Obviously, yeah, you can know on. this part, but there's other parts of me that are still going through a healing process that need to yeah. be discussed offline. But what I can say, because I think it's important, is yeah. if you are experiencing something in your faith journey or in your discovery journey of like who you are, or what's happening or traumas happened in your life, whether it's yeah. in the church or out of it, doesn't really matter what's happened. So often we can keep putting ourselves in positions where we feel that we're not safe and we continue to go back to those places out of familiarity, out of comfortability, because we think that's the only thing I know. Yeah. And so often we can't actually get the healing that we need because we are continuing to put ourselves in positions or in relationships or in environments where the same toxic behavior is continuing to persist. Yeah. And so we can't pull ourselves out of that until we go to a safe person. Like you said, your spiritual director or people in your life who are willing to like walk the messy thing with you and talk about it and be like, Ashley, it's okay that you feel this way. It's okay that you're like questioning and talking and whatever, similarly to me. So if you're in that space, guys, I just want you to say, find trusted people. If you don't know who those trusted people are, reach out to me, reach out to Ashley. You know, maybe we can direct you to someone in your context or your city that is a helpful person for you to actually walk the journey with, because we don't want you to just like be alone and try and figure it out. Yes. Um, Feel free. DM me. (laughs) I'm cool with answering that question. Um, That's really beautiful. And I also think it's important, two things you just showed us, is like sometimes owning your story looks like sharing and sometimes owning your story looks like holding and containing and keeping safe space for you to get through the process. And I think that you just did such a beautiful example of that. And I also would just add to what you're saying about um, 
trauma and just reminding us that in this world we live in, we are also constantly inundated with trauma on the news and trauma on TV. You know, I often think about how violence is becoming the new pornography as I watch different television shows mm -hmm. where I'm like, man, it's so violent. And I think sometimes we will just numb out to TV or numb out to social media. And we're really just trying to put a bandaid over a bullet hole. Yeah. And so I think it's really important for us to be mindful of what we take in, in those seasons where we're vulnerable. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a Netflix marathon from time to time. Go for <laughs> gold. Like do it. That's yeah. healing. That can be very conducive to producing wholeness. But at the same time, if we constantly find ourselves numbing out, then you're recognizing like, oh, I'm, I'm just putting this trauma somewhere else, or I'm just putting this pain somewhere else. Or I'm trying to put it down instead of to bring it out. And so it's important for us to just pay attention to what we take in as we're trying to heal from a difficult season. Absolutely. Now, one of the things you talk about, which I just, oh, I just so loved it so much was talking about our bodies and, yes. and how we can keep that pain in our bodies. And, um, can you just talk about that, about you say, my body is my first truth teller. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that works for you. Yes. So as a person who, well, just being a woman in the world, I guess I should start there. We're very often taught to ignore sort of our inner tickers, you know, those, those red flags or fire alarms that seem to be going off on the inside, we're kind of taught to ignore those and sort of put them down. And, in, and it is a way that we move throughout the world as women. I mean, we have, people are catcalling us. People are making comments about our bodies. They're talking about our height or they're talking about our weight. And all those things feel like, okay, I've got to figure out a way to sort of shut my body down, to not be noticed, to not be talked to, to not be this or that. Mm -hmm. And then for me personally, as a sexual assault survivor, I was raped in college um, and because of that, I've had to also disassociate from my body in order to survive very difficult traumatic events. Mm. And so for me, recognizing, man, my body has always been my number one indicator and I have ignored it for so long. Like sometimes I think about, and I write this in the book, just wanting to curl up in the fetal position and just like love my body because I have ignored her so severely or even something like an eating disorder, like ignoring my internal radars that are telling me something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And I'm trying to put it down with an eating disorder. I'm trying to put alcohol on top of it, or I'm trying to put drugs on top of it or relationships on top of it or approval on top of it. Oh, and so and it's, it's me ignoring what is really happening in my body. Yeah. And I, I would do that sometimes with really difficult things and sometimes really great things like how I met my husband. You know, he was not, I had that dumb Christian list. I don't know if they do this in Canada, yes. but in America, oh, they please keep oh, talking. God help us all. You know, it's like this list that we make and it's, it's all the things we think our partner should have. And basically like how dumb, who does that? Like who shoots themselves? I do that. I did that. Um, right. I did it too. <laughs> Why? And I totally would have missed my husband. And I remember um, I had gotten into a car accident and the night after the accident, my husband, um, who was just a, an acquaintance then came up to me and I remember him putting the small, his hand on the small of my back and I didn't pay attention to it. It wasn't a big deal. And then, um, my best friend, Harmony, he just asked, are you okay? Can I do anything for you? Like, um, and I said, no, no, we're good. Thanks so much. And then my friend Harmony like was standing next to me, literally her jaw is on the ground and she's like, Ashley, what's up? with Cody Abercrombie. And I'm like, what? Nothing is up with Cody Abercrombie. Are you kidding me? Cause he didn't fit my list. He didn't look how I thought he should look. He didn't have all the things. He was from Texas. I'm like, he's a no, like it's a hard pass. <laughs> and Harmony was like, girl, he put his hand on your back and you didn't flinch. And I was like, oh, 
you're right. Because I was the type, any person, and especially men, put their hands on me. I'm like, I'm flinching. I'm moving their hand. I'm asking them to move. Like, it just felt very disrespectful for anybody to do that. I was very serious about touch. Yeah. For obvious reasons, all the things I've gone through. Um, But I realized, you're right. I didn't flinch. And I realized he was such a safe person. And my body was already telling me this is a good person. Like, this is a safe person before I even really knew that he was, you know? So I think sometimes we just, we can tell our body's a good reader. We just have a sense on the inside of us, like, this is good. This is bad. This is maybe proceed with caution. Like we have a good indicator. Um, and I've learned to really integrate my body, my heart and my mind. Um, so that I'm not just staying all mental with people and not like recognizing things, a uh, heart connection or that I'm not making decisions with solely my emotions. Um, and then I'm also just not ignoring my body. Mm-hmm. So being at home in myself enough to go, my body's telling me something. I'm going to slow down long enough to pay attention to this is really important. Oh, you know what? It's so good that you said that because like there's often times where I've noticed my body does it in, and I notice just the negative things mm-hmm. and you're talking about, there's also positive things our yes. bodies show us. Yes. And I've never really thought about it that way. I was like always thinking about the negative stuff, but um, yeah. you're right. Like, you know, our bodies, like, you know, I can tell when there's something going on with me because I will have chronic pain. Right. And it's, it's always an indication. Something's up, something's up. And I know it's not just, I need to go to the chiropractor. Although I do love chiropractors and massages and all that, but, um, I know there's stress or tension and things I'm dealing with emotionally that I need to also be very aware of and, and also being kind of like looking into my spirit and saying, okay, how is my spirit reacting to all of this? And what's, what is God saying to me in this? What am I saying to me in this? You know, like, all of those things and our body is such an indication of where we're at yeah and if we're experiencing you know um health issues or things going on chronic things it's so often it's like a kind of a cry for help like please pay attention to me but totally also i love like how you say like i didn't flinch when he touched me and it was like my body's reaction to like you're safe yes i love that Yes, it was huge. And I realized I do that with friends and I do that with coworkers and my body is able to, you know, distinguish what's good and what's bad. Most of the time, I'm not saying I'm hundred percent accurate. I don't think anybody is, yeah. but the vast majority of the time, my body is a great truth teller. And um, I think we can probably even like hone the skill of, of like listening. Yes. 100%. It's very, very important. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Okay. I've got another question for you. Um, yes. You talk about unmet and unstated expectations, like, yes. uh, which is something that I've struggled with in my life of being like, okay, I have this expectation of this going this way or, you know, and it's unstated. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Um, and then I will say this, and you talk about this in your book. I like highlighted it, put a big star around, but like we should, Hmm. we should all over ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You heard me right. We should all over ourselves. What does that mean that we do that? Like we should. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, we are Queens and Kings of never getting things all the way right. So we're like, oh, I should pray more. I should eat this way. I should do this more. I should have been nicer. I should be this. I should be this. I should be this. I should be this. And we just like get crushed under this burden of our own personal standards and expectations. And we can't live in reality or live in the moment and do what we think is right in the moment and then continue to grow from there. And I think it's, um, it's painful and it's hard and we have to stop doing it. And because we should all over ourselves, we should all over (laughs) others. 
are constantly telling them what they should do yes. and how they should feel and what they should want and what decisions they should make next. And it's so um, unhelpful, you know, unsolicited advice. And if you're a recovering know-it-all like me, then unsolicited <laughs> advice is like a tool in your tool belt, yeah. you know? So I think really putting that down and realizing, you know what, I don't, I don't have advice for you right now. I'm just going to be here with you in it. And if you ask me a question, wonderful. I'd be happy to answer and share. But if you don't, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to be here. And so I think I've really learned to um, to stop not liking myself because yeah. I think that's actually what shitting all over yourself is. At the end of the day, it boils down to I really don't. I don't like myself. I don't think I'm capable of making good decisions, and I should always do better. Um, and so I've had to really learn to practice. I like myself. I'm actually capable of making good decisions. I'm actually capable of responding to my life in a way that will continue to move me forward, in a way that will continue to help me grow, in a way that continues to help me change and become more like Christ. And it continues to allow my character to, um, to shape in a way that's honoring towards myself, towards God and towards others. And so I think it's important for us to just stop doing that. Yes. <laughs> I will take that advice. <laughs> I will take it. Um, and I was like, I was like, I should all over myself. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I also should all over other people. Totally. We all do, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think I've ever met anyone who didn't. Oh my gosh. It's like, it was, became glaringly obvious as soon as you said it. I was like, oh, please. I'm like, I just like need to blank and apologize to everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mom used to say, cause I used to live in the States for like, 14 years, but um, I used, I don't remember the exact phrase I used, but like, um, I probably said should like, you know, we should, or, and she's like, Andrea, I know that's a Southernism, but you've got to stop saying that, like, mm -hmm. you know, like telling people what to do. Like, and I was like, Oh, you're right. I think I'm, I need to stop doing it. And I really did believe yes. I need better. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is, I get it completely also a problem, but that's, yes. we digress. I get it. Yep. Now I get it. Women that are listening to this are like, Oh my gosh, we've like, covered so many things, so many topics, yes. so many, like, I just, I know I want to tell you all, just get your hands on the book, Rise of the Truth yes. Teller, but how would you say, like, what, what would you say as a kind of a closing thing of like, how do women start to just kind of own their own story and, and kind of encapsulate, even if they're like in the starting stages of like, um, becoming authentically who they are and, and just stepping into that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I would love to encourage you to recognize that you have something so unique to bring to this world and that your contribution matters. And sometimes we don't own our stories because we are afraid that our story doesn't matter or we're afraid that it's going to be too much or we're going to be afraid that it's not enough. And I am telling you, you were uniquely designed and created and we need exactly what you bring to this world. And we are not the same without you. And I think the other key to this is recognizing that you are not alone and that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of women and men who have gone through very similar things than what it is that you're facing right now. And so you are not alone. You're not the only one who has gone through it and you're not the first one to go through it. And that great confidence can give you hope that you can own your story and that you can tell it like it is and that you can live your life with some gumption because we need you. Mm -hmm. We freaking need you in this world. That's beautiful. Thank you so much um, for letting me share my story today. Mm -hmm. and I loved it. Thank you. Giving space, <laughs> you know, I think just what a beautiful picture today of even just our conversation of like what it's like to be able to kind of step into that place and own where we are, even when it is messy and it's not yes. all wrapped up in a nice little neat bow. Yes. Um, thank you so much. Um, how do people 
get a hold of you, connect with you, where can they find you? Yes. So I'm over on Instagram at Ash Abercrombie on Twitter. Same thing on Facebook at Ash Abercrombie NYC. And then if you want to connect with me on my website, I have uh, Uversion Bible study devotionals. I have lots of content over there, things you can read, things you can watch, um, things you can download. Then it's ashabercrombie.org. And it would be my honor to connect with you guys and buy the book. We would love, yes. love, love, love to journey with you that way. Yes. <laughs> this book is going to encourage you. It's, it's so wonderful. And um, I just really appreciate you taking time to talk to me. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, friends. I immediately got done this recording and I felt light. I just literally felt as though a weight had been lifted off of me. There is such power when we get to share the truth about who we are. And, and I just want to encourage you that you have the same opportunity and availability to you to step into your own story and to own who you are. And I know sometimes that can be really difficult because we're faced with so many opportunities to compare ourselves to one another. And that really just derails us from living the life that we're meant to live and for really stepping into our own purpose and for achieving those things that we desire to achieve in our lives and that God has quite frankly put on our hearts to do. So I want to encourage you to get a hold of this book, The Rise of the Truth Teller, and allow these words just to kind of empower you to step into your own story and and, and figure out how it is that you can embody those things that you've been through yourself. Because I know that when you do, that when you get really honest about what you've been through, the struggles that you face personally, that it's not only going to change your own life and it's going to give you just kind of that freedom to express yourself and be who you are, but it's also going to change the lives of your family and your friends and those people who you are impacting in whatever context you find yourself. And that is so freeing. So I want to thank Ashley for being a guest on the Courage Cast. Oh, like seriously, I just, what, what a delightful conversation and and just honestly, what a life giving person. And I, I just thank you, Ashley, for being a part of the show. And friends, I want to thank you for being here. I love that you're here. You know that we do this so that you're empowered to take brave steps. We do this so that you can really put forward your best every single day and do those things that you know are on your heart to do. So we want to champion and encourage you. So make sure that you connect with us over on Instagram at at the.couragecast as well as over on Facebook at the Couragecast podcast. And just leave us a message. Let us know that you've listened to this episode and what you thought about it. And we'd love to talk with you and share with you um, just in your own personal journey as well. Thanks for being here. We love you. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review. And while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.